All right, good morning. Well, um, <clears throat> so last week I started off on outreach and evangelism, and I went over definitions, distinctions, purposes, and then we focused a little bit more on outreach. And so this week we're going to um, focus a little bit more on evangelism and the specifics of it. And uh, my whole purpose for these two sermons is to uh, encourage you um, to build you up, to, to give you confidence in your own um, personal evangelism. Um, as Pastor Steve said, evangelism is the E in the PEG, um, the PEG sermons or the PEG um, topics. Prayer, evangelism, and giving are the three topics that um, create the most conviction. <laughs> I mean, I, I, don't, I don't have to... Um, convict you about evangelism all i have to do is say the word and i'm sure most of you are convicted because we could all be more faithful in it and uh we're all convicted that we're you know not as faithful as we could be so my goal is not to convict you or make you feel guilty but to encourage you to build you up to give you more confidence so that you are more faithful in your evangelistic encounters as you go through your life and so um, before we look into the specifics of evangelism, um, today we're going to look at the message, the methods, and the motivations. But before we do, I just want to, by way of reminder, go back over the definitions um, of outreach and evangelism. So outreach. I took these definitions from Matthew and, and Philippians and First Peter. Um, and other people have definitions about outreach and, and um, what they think outreach is. But um, just from these scripture readings, Matthew five fourteen to 16, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. We let our sh light shine by our good works, our attitude, our conduct in the world, and people see that we're different, and it gives us opportunity to proclaim the gospel. Philippians two fourteen to 15 Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. 1 Peter 2.9 But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. We are set apart, called out from the world, set apart, distinct, to be holy, so that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. There is a purpose why God has called us out so that we can give him glory and proclaim him to a lost world. Colossians 4, 5 to 6. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. As we go out in the world, we uh, conduct ourselves wisely, we um, be careful to watch out for those opportunities that we can speak truth into other people's lives, and we do so with grace. Um, 
outreach. This is just my, my definition. Outreach, which glorifies God, takes advantage of opportunities to expose the church to the community or draw the community to the church through charity, good deeds, and advertising for the sake of proclaiming the gospel to the lost, adorning the gospel with our good works and bringing honor to the name of Jesus Christ. And Alexander McLaren said, the greatest charity in the world is the communication of divine truth to the ignorant. We can do all sorts of good deeds and good works, and um, there's several organizations throughout the world that do good deeds and good works, but only we can proclaim that gospel which saves sinners, the, that gives man um, his greatest need, salvation. All right. Um, evangelism the act of giving verbal witness to the gospel the heralding of the good news to all who will listen Dwayne Litfin J.I. Packer said according to the New Testament evangelism is just preaching the gospel the evangel it is a work of communication in which Christians make themselves mouthpieces for God's message of mercy to sinners that we're just proclaiming the message we can't save anybody the, the word of God it has the power. That's where the power is. God, ha- only God can save sinners. Only God can convert lost men. John Cheeseman, to evangelize is to declare on the authority of God what he has done to save sinners, to warn men of their lost condition, to direct them to repent and to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. The purpose of evangelism is to glorify God in fulfilling the Great Commission by proclaiming his gospel to the world. This is what God is doing in this age, in the church age. Since, since um, Pentecost, since, since Christ came on the scene and, and redeemed men, create, um, died on the cross to redeem men, and um, since the church was brought about and spread to the ends of the earth, um, this is what God is doing in the world, is um, fulfilling his great fulfilling his um, covenant to Abraham, to the, fulfilling his covenant to David, um, fulfilling the new covenant, um, create drawing worshipers to himself, and we are the means by which he's doing that as we go out and proclaim. Matthew twenty eight nineteen to twenty. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And making disciples implies proclaiming the gospel. Acts 1.8, And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. <clears throat> and then Romans 10.14-15, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. So those are the definitions and the purposes of outreach and evangelism, that we are God's means of saving lost sinners, that he uses um, redeemed sinners to proclaim his gospel to lost sinners. The message, the message, the methods, and the motivation. So what is the gospel? 
The gospel can be um, can be summarized or, or, or boiled down to repent and believe. Repent, turn from your sins and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Um, John the Baptist was preaching, came preaching and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And if we went out into the world and we said that to most people, most people would be like, huh? What, is, what, what do you mean by repent or um, kingdom of heaven? What are you talking about? Um, or they might have some sort of idea. But when John the Baptist said that, um, in his context, they knew exactly what he was talking about. The Jews knew exactly what he was talking about. So the gospel can be summarized. That is the gospel, what John was given. But sometimes we have to elaborate on that. Sometimes it takes more. The gospel is the whole Bible. Um, the gospel um, involves every aspect of theology. All the mysteries of God are present in the cross. Um, God's justice, his wrath, his power, his love, his mercy, his sovereignty. Um, they're all present in the gospel. So the gospel is both simple and yet deep. But if we were to condense it down, um, there's, we could put it down into four, four categories. The nature and character of God. Who is God? What is he like? And, and I have some, some scripture references here um, we have a, a track kind of it's pretty big for our church which goes through these these four aspects um, of who God is um, who man is the sinfulness of mankind who Jesus Christ is and what the command of the gospel is in the nature of saving faith um, so the, these are kind of like um, guardrails or guidelines um, categories uh, of the gospel now, people need to know that there is a God, that, and people do know, but they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. But we need to tell them that, you know, you are accountable to God, and that we need to tell them that by explaining the nature and character of God. And so um, as I go through these categories, here's some verses. These are good to memorize or, or jot down to reference as you're sharing the gospel. Um, and they're also on our track. But Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Um, that right there, Genesis 1.1 is the basis for uh, God's authority over all mankind. That he is the creator. He created all things. Therefore, he has authority over all things. And therefore, he owns all things and all things are his. And therefore, all creation owes him worship. And yet man does not worship him. Exodus 34, 6 to 7. That God, that's God's character. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Showing love to thousands. Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 5. His, his command to Israel that, that they should love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is what mankind should do. But we don't. 1 Samuel 16, 7, God does not look at the outward appearance, but he looks at the heart. He does not judge according to our outward appearance, but he judges according to what's in our heart. And then you see the rest of these. Matthew 5, 48, you shall be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. 1 John 1, 5, in God is light and in him there is no darkness whatsoever. The sinfulness of mankind 
<clears throat> Genesis 6, 5. God saw that the thoughts and intentions of man's heart was evil and wicked continuously. Um, Romans 1, 18 to 25, that's the rap sheet of humanity or the list of crimes that humanity has committed against God. 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We, as we proclaim the gospel, and, and not every conversation is the same. Um, you know, we, we approach people um, differently, um, but we need to have these, these kind of guidelines or these principles that, that we need to proclaim the nature and character of God, and we need to explain that, that mankind is sinful and that we, the person we're talking to, to explain to them that you have sinned against God, and therefore you are guilty. And when we explain that, then we can go into the person and work of Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus? Um, All heresies, all cults, assault the person and work of Jesus Christ. Um, Ever since the inception of the church, Gnostic heresies um, in in Colossians. Um, Paul writes Colossians to confront the Gnostic heresies and the Judaizers about who Jesus Christ is. Um, Hebrews, in the, in the first chapter of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews is, is proclaiming who Jesus Christ is, that he wasn't just a prophet, he wasn't an angel, he was the, very, he was the Son of God, he was very God. And this is what we have to proclaim to people because there's all sorts of ideas about who Jesus is and what he'd, he'd done, what, what he did. Um, that a lot of people think he was just a great teacher or he was a prophet or um, he was just a moral man or, or um, as the Jehovah's Witnesses say, he, he was the first creation. He was a created being. Although high and exalted, he was created. <clears throat> Absolute heresy. Um, the Mormons, that he, he was... He was another God amongst many gods, and then we, we can, you know, um, become like him. Heresy. We need to proclaim who Jesus Christ is, that, that he, was, he was with God. He was God, and he is God. That he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. That he was, lived a perfect life that we could not live, that he bore our penalty in his body. He bore our sins on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. That he, God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him, the great exchange. And so here, here are some verses that are good to memorize to, so that you have them ready. Because sometimes you... You know, most of you know opportunities come along and, and sometimes they just drop into your lap and, and you might not be ready or you, you think back and you're like, oh, I wish I would have said this. I wish I would have said that. I wish I would have quoted this verse. And, and sometimes, oh, well, that happens. Sometimes that happens for a reason to teach you because, you know, as you go back, you're like, oh, man, I need to study more. And God does that to us sometimes to, to teach us that, you know, there, there are some pretty smart, um, unbelievers and there there are some unbelievers that that know arguments and know scripture and, and can come up with objections and uh, we need to be ready 
But even if we think we're ready, um, there's still room for growth. There's always room for growth. Um, and so part of, part of the gift of, uh, or the blessing of going out and evangelizing or, or proclaiming the gospel is it compels you to learn more. And it compels you to, to read more and, and to even be more effective. the command of the gospel. Isaiah 55, um, 55 in the beginning of the chapter, he says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Uh, Behold, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of, of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Even in the Old Testament, there was this this offer to the nations, this offer to all mankind to come to the Lord and that they may be saved, to, to recognize their need, that all the things that they think would find they would find fulfillment in in this world do not fulfill and god offers this mankind their greatest need to come to him but in calling people to repent and to come to god um, we also need to tell them the cost of discipleship that as jesus said in luke nine twenty three, if anyone would come after him after me let him deny my deny himself and take up his cross and follow me that there is a cost of discipleship that they must give up what they hold so dear and treasure what is what is truly dear and that is Christ and and what he has to offer so that is the that is the message um I want to talk about faithfulness, faithfulness in proclaiming the message. Mark Dever says that evangelism may not be defined in terms of results, but only in terms of faithfulness to the message preached. Um, A lot of times we don't evangelize because we don't feel adequate or we don't feel that we know enough or we're kind of ashamed that we don't know more than we should. And um, we... And then sometimes we we have a we feel like we fail in an encounter. Uh, we feel like we we should have said this, we shouldn't have said that. Um, we're worried about the the person's response. We're, we're we beat ourselves up over their response. But our our goal is just to be faithful to the message. Is just to be clear. Our, their response has nothing to do with our faithfulness. John Stott said, "To evangelize does not mean to win converts." but simply to announce the good news, irrespective of the results. 
Mark 4, 26 to 29. This is the, the parable of the soils. The kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil, and he goes to bed at night and gets up by day, and the seed sprouts and grows. How? He himself does not know. The soil produces crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. But when the crop permits, he immediately puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. This is John MacArthur preached on this passage and the title, uh, this was at T4G a few years back, and the title of his message was The Theology of Sleep. That if we're faithful to the message, we rest. We can find rest in the fact that we've been faithful to proclaim, not because of what the other person has done with the message, but that we were faithful to be clear and accurate and that we proclaimed it. And that's, that's our job. That's all we do. We cannot convert. We, it, what we do um, or the, the character of the soil has no, um, it, it doesn't, it has no impact on, on, on the message that we, we proclaim or the nature of the seed that we cast. We just, we just sow the seed. That's it. Okay, so I'm going to read this this quote. Too often, by Michael Green, too often evangelism is presented as a package involving three clear points, four spiritual laws, or five things God wants you to know. I have no quarrel with such aids to the memory of those who are communicating the good news. The danger arises when the gospel is shrunk to the dimensions of such limiting and selective formula. In the name of simplicity, the door is open to misconception, shallowness, and even heresy. Now, we, we have aids, like you were saying, we, we have memory aids, we have tracks, there's all sorts of tracks and, and things that you can learn and mnemonic devices like um, the Romans Road or like the track that we have or the, the nature and character of God, the sinfulness of mankind, the work of Jesus Christ, the nature of the gospel and saving faith. Um, those are aids. Uh, um, but the danger is when those aids become a canned approach. Um, and we see this in the way of the master. Way of master is a wonderful way to evangelize. It's a great way. It's, it's helped millions evangelize, and, and it is biblical. It's a great way, but um, sometimes the way of the master becomes the way of the master, and there is no other way. Um, and there's many good ways to evangelize that become the way. Um, but if we look in the Gospels and we look in the, in the New Testament, we see that every evangelistic encounter is a little bit different because there's different people. And so um, our goal is just to be faithful to the message. And, and there's conversation is like an art. Um, when, you, when you enter into conversation or you leave a conversation, conversations, um, they, they take certain paths and they, they, they move certain ways. And, um, you know, you can't always get a full gospel presentation out to somebody um, a lot of times the, the conversation ends or it peters off or it goes off into some other topic 
Um, we just have to be faithful to try to get as much out as we can. Um, so, context of evangelism. I, I put the, the context of evangelism is really in, there's really two contexts. It's either the opportunistic or reactive ways. That, that's when um, you're in a conversation or with a coworker or a friend or family member and all of a sudden you just start talking about spiritual things and then you st- start hearing the themes and you, or they may ask about your church or God or the Bible or meaning of life or something and the opportunity comes your way and you have to react to it. And then there are also those times where it's intentional, proactive. You're going out intentionally to proclaim the gospel to somebody. So I think all, all evangelism um, falls under those two categories. And then there's the other methods or other um, subcategories or contexts, the personal, relational, one-on-one conversations, organizational church, here, evangelism happens every Sunday as the gospel is being proclaimed and unbelievers come into our church or, you know, in other ministry contexts or parachurch ministries or other outreach contexts um, that the, in which the gospel is being proclaimed. There is a situational or, or a persecution that when believers are placed in a situation or circumstance because of their faith and they're almost forced to give testimony and they testify of the gospel the public uh, cold contact evangelism of going out to public places and um, just going up to strangers and asking them and um, you know what they think about God or church or the Bible and um, engaging in conversations about um, the gospel door-to-door evangelism Um, in our day and age media Media is huge. Um, in print, tracks, um, booklets, uh, uh, journal articles, um, over the radio, um, over the internet. Uh, I just, I, I look at these, all these contexts for the gospel, and this is why I, I wanted to teach on outreach last week, is I, I just look back to my um, own conversion and I, I can remember being witnessed to in a public place at, at a stadium before a concert by a sole person who came up and witnessed to me and gave me a track. I remember being invited to church. I remember hearing preaching over the radio. I, I remember um, seeing a street preacher and being convicted. I remember going into a church and hearing preaching several times before I was saved. So um, I remember seeing things on the internet. So all of these all these contexts, all these ways in which the gospel came out were, were present in, you know, besides the persecution, were present in, in my own conversion. And a lot of times, um, unbelievers, you know, they're, they're presented with the gospel several times before the Lord saves them, and in several different ways. And then we see the methods of the early church and, and how they went about proclaiming the gospel in the temple and synagogues and jail, house to house as they went to teach, um, open air, public conversations. So um, don't get caught up in, in thinking that, you know, evangelism is just this one way or this one context. We're all different and God has wired us all different. We all have different gifts and different talents, different life circumstances, and we can all um, 
fulfill the Great Commission in a different way. We just got to be faithful to the message. Um, we can all pray. E- even if we were, even if we were um, laid up in a hospital bed um, and somewhat, um, you know, disabled, we could still pray that God would use us or use the people around us to bring others to faith. We could still, in that hospital bed, have our friends and family members put cards with verses on them, and hopefully our nurse and care workers will come in and see that. There's, there's something that we can always do. We can always do something. We can always pray, and, and just, you know, in our life and in the context in which God has placed us, we can do something. Um, and it doesn't have to be what someone else is doing. Um, Donald Whitney says, In some cases, the method of witnessing we're asked to use causes our evangelophobia. If it requires approaching someone we've never met before and striking up a conversation about Christ, most people will be terrified and indicate it by their absence. Although a few enjoy it, most people tremble at the thought of going door to door to share the gospel. Even methods that call for witnessing to friends or family, if they involve a forced, confrontational, or unnatural approach, fill us with fear at sharing the best news in the world with the people we love the most. I've never heard it expressed before, but I think that the seriousness of evangelism is the main reason it frightens us. We realize that in talking with somebody about Christ, heaven and hell are at stake. The eternal destiny of the person is the issue. And even when we rightly believe that the results of this encounter are in God's hands and that we are not accountable for the person's response to the gospel, we still sense a solemn duty to communicate the message faithfully coupled with a holy dread of saying or doing anything that would be a stumbling block to this person's salvation. Many Christians feel too unprepared for this kind of challenge or simply have too little faith and are terrified of entering into such an eternally important situation. Donald Whitney wrote this in his Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life in which he he views evangelism as a spiritual discipline, that we have to discipline ourselves um, because we always wage against the world, the flesh, and the devil, and usually it's the flesh that is telling us not to um, evangelize, and we have to discipline ourselves. Um, Many evangelists have a saying that when they go out, they go out evangelizing, go out to witness, dragging their feet, and they come back clicking their heels Um, because it's always a war in their flesh. And every time I have went, went out intentionally, to go out, it's always been a war within my flesh. And, and usually the best conversations I have had have been those times where I have just really had to battle with my own flesh because I didn't want to go. Um, and I wrote this, The sovereignty of God not only applies to the who, what, when, where, why, and hows of salvation, but also to our proclamation of the gospel of salvation to others and their response to our witness. We need to rest in his sovereignty and yet not use it as an excuse to disobey his commands, to let our light shine before others, proclaim his excellencies, call others to repent and believe, make disciples, all the while trusting that he is with us in the process, always and until the end of the age. 
That was Jesus' um, comfort in the Great Commission, that, lo, I am with you always and until the end of the age, that he is with us in that encounter as we proclaim his gospel. So, tactics. Tactics for evangelism. First, pray. Pray. <laughs> the, the biggest thing, pray before, during, and after. In the midst of your conversation, Lord, Lord, give me an answer. How do I answer that question? Give me wisdom. What do I say to that response? Um, uh, oftentimes in evangelism, there's always an excuse, always uh, uh, some obscure thing coming way out of left field. And yeah, Lord, give me wisdom. What do I, what do I say to that? Use scripture, memorize quote verses, have them read it for themselves. I have in my Bible, I have... Um, marked off I box verses and sometimes I would go to people and I'd be like read that right there in the red box <laughs> um, leverage resources Bibles booklets tracks radio stations websites social media um, use resources because a, a good Bible track will fix what you mess up <laughs> a good Bible track will make clear what you were con- made confusing <laughs> um, tracks have always helped me i you know i here read just read that <laughs> what i said might not have been so clear but here read this uh, take this booklet would you read this um would you like a bible you know read that um don't assume their worldview or that they know the official doctrine of their professed worldview um a lot of this is a lot of roman catholics and a lot of muslims they don't know their official doctrine don't don't assume that they do um don't assume that they're ignorant of Christianity or that every one of their views of Christianity is wrong. Um, I've spoken with unbelievers and they've gotten the doctrine, they've gotten the gospel exactly right. They just didn't want to repent and believe. Um, invite to church and then follow up, if at all possible. Follow up with them, call them back. So, um, specific tactics. Um, most of us, we, we could explain the gospel. We could teach the gospel. The hardest part in evangelism for most of us is starting the conversation. That's the hardest part. For, for me, I, I liken it to, to, you know, jumping in a cold swimming pool. The hardest part is jumping in. Once you're in there, you'll start swimming. You'll be all right. But starting the conversation is the hardest. Um, so, number one, listen carefully in conversations with unbelievers for points of contact. You're listening for worldviews, meaning of life, purpose, life goals, fulfillment, lack of. You know, they're talking about their own fulfillment or their lack of fulfillment. Death, dying, the afterlife. Um, Supernatural phenomena, spiritual themes. You're looking for themes in conversations which are points of contact or a bridge to to enter in to proclaim the gospel. Um, and, And usually, you know, you can say, you know, would you like to know what the Bible says about that? Okay, there's, okay, yeah, sure. <laughs> Ask about people's goals, their hopes, their dreams, their outlook on life, what they're looking forward to and why. Really, you can, why does that fulfill you? Why do you find fulfillment in that? What, what's the end of that? Um, you know, ask them about their worldview and their religion, why they believe. You know, ask them about their religious background. You know, so why are you a Roman Catholic? Why are you a Mormon? 
why are you a Jehovah's Witness? Um, why are you an atheist? You know, what's your religious background? How did you grow up? You know, that, that offers you that bridge. And, and, you know, well, here's what the Bible says. Or, you know, we, could I share with you my faith and why I believe what I believe? Ask if they go to church. Um, this is last week. Um, <laughs> this is how I started the conversations. That, hey, excuse me, do you go to church? Uh, okay, well, my, and I use a steadfast fly. Well, hey, my church is putting on this, this conference, this Bible conference. Would you like to go? And then we started talking about religious things and the religious background, and I was able to share the gospel. Um, one of my friends, that's, that's his question all the time. He goes up to people, hey, do you go to church? Um, ask if you can pray for them. Um, people, coworkers, friends, family members will um, always, you know, trials happen in life, and they'll be in the midst of the trial and be like, can I pray for you about that? And that might open the door for the gospel. Ask them about the meaning of life, the purpose of marriage, children, family, um, what they think about tragedies and moral issues. Um, ask them about social issues, human rights, uh, foundation for human dignity, their standard of morality and the foundation for it. What's going to happen to them after they die? Um, ask them what they think about the supernatural. Um, what they think about specific religious fi- figures. You know, people are talking about the Pope every once in a while. He has a visit. Or the Dalai Lama or some other religious figure is in the news. Um, and, you know, you might be amongst your coworkers or family members. What do you think about that guy? Um, you know, what do you think about the Pope? Well, you know, I like his message. Well, yeah, here's what the Bible says about the message. Um, what do you think about that? Um, ask them what they think about God. Um, ask them what they think about Christianity. Um, ask them who they think Jesus is. This was the main question. Uh, Jesus approached Peter. Who do people say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Ask them Point Blake, do you understand the gospel of Jesus Christ? I, I have um, used that in evangelism too. And people are talking about gospel music. I was like, oh, you like gospel music. Do you understand what the gospel is? Can I explain the gospel to you? Um, and then explain the gospel to them. <laughs> um, start with those four categories, the nature and character of God, the sinfulness of mankind, the work of Jesus Christ, and then the, the command of the gospel. Okay, so this is messing up on me. Okay, specific. Um, so when we get into proclaiming the gospel, start with God. Always start with God. Um, he is a creator. He is holy. He is righteous. He is his justice, his wrath. Um, but he's also merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That's why Christ came, um, that, that God does not overlook one sin, um, and we have all sinned. Um, start with God and his holiness so that, that people can see that there is a gap, and you reveal to them the sinfulness of man. Um, that they are a sinner. God is holy and they are, they are a sinner. And so what does a good and holy and po- all-powerful God do with sinners? He damns them. Unless they repent and trust in Christ who has paid for their sin. 
no sin will go unpunished. Sins are either punished in one of two places, either in hell for all eternity or at the cross. So you pick your poison. Um, You can repent and believe upon Jesus Christ who bore your sin in his body on the tree that you would die to sin and live to righteousness or you bear your own sin in hell forever. I'd rather have Jesus bear my sin. Ask them where they think they stand before God to really reflect on their own sinfulness. Once you, you know, reveal to them their sinfulness and use the law and and quote Jesus. (laughs) It's always best to quote the highest authority. (laughs) So people can say all things about Paul or things in the Bible, but and people have objections to several things in the Bible, but it's interesting how you, even to an unbeliever, you open up and you say, this is Jesus right here. Jesus is quoting this. So, you know, you have a problem with this, take it up with Jesus. Um, he has all authority in heaven and on earth. Um, explain to them the character, nature, and works of Jesus Christ. Explain to them the commands of the gospel to repent and believe. And then the cost of discipleship. That in if he whoever whoever wants to be my disciple must take up his must um, deny himself take up his cross and follow me. Call plead with them to repent and believe the gospel. Explain to them consequences of rejecting the gospel. Give them a tract, booklet, Bible, a website, or phone number that they can call. Um, always uh, always try to leave something because. Your words, um, you know, they might be forgotten. But that little track, even if they don't read it right away, it might, they might put it in their car somewhere or whatever, and later on sometime pick it up and read it. Or someone else in their family might read it. You know, I, I can't, I, I would like to hopefully when I get to heaven be able to see, you know, the life of a Bible track and see where it goes. Um, I remember on an, I was on an outreach one time and um, we were at, a, at uh, the North Hollywood Metro Station passing out tracks and someone was preaching and another, be- another friend, another believer from our church came up and he was like, you know all those tracks you pass out, they just, they just throw them on the ground down there in the station. And I told that to one of the other friend who was preaching when he got down and he said, I got saved off a Bible track that I picked up off the ground. And so you don't, you don't know. Your, your job is just to pass it out. What happens to it after, that's not on you. And God can use, you know, tracks long after and maybe not the person you gave it to. And then ask if you can pray with them or for them. Okay. Apologetics. I, w- I wanted to just touch on apologetics real quick. Apologetics is, is really popular nowadays because, um, you know, we, we don't like, you know, we, we don't like getting beat up about our faith. <laughs> we, we don't like um, losing arguments. And when we find a way to win arguments, we're like, oh, this is great. Like, and, and if we find a, a good apologetic, for, pro, for defending the faith, then, you know, we love it. Uh, presuppositional apologetics is big, um, 
big nowadays, um, and, and rightfully so, because um, the unbeliever doesn't have a defense. All men suppress the truth and unrighteousness. They have no foundation. There is no solid foundation for a false worldview or a false religion. Only Christianity can um, explain this world and mankind. And so we, we have a, a rock-solid defense for the faith, um, but we need to be careful. And there's two schools of thought. There's the classical evidential that the unbeliever just needs more evidence versus the presuppositional that the unbeliever has all the evidence they need. They're just suppressing the truth and unrighteousness, and we need to expose their presuppositions of living in God's world, that they presuppose that this world has consistency, form, function, order, that... um, that they presuppose a higher moral standard, that they presuppose morality, and that only comes from God. But we need to focus on honoring Christ with our attitudes and our words. We need to accept the spiritual blindness of man and that unbelief is a heart issue. The unbeliever doesn't need more evidence, so to speak. The unbeliever is not lacking an intellectual argument. Um, they suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Unbelief is always a heart issue. So when we proclaim the gospel, we're aiming at the heart. We go through the mind, but we're aiming at the heart. Uh, Know that the unbeliever has all the evidence they need in creation. Creation testifies to God. Trust the Bible as the ultimate source and standard of truth and use it. And then when we defend the gospel, the gospel, we expose the inconsistencies of the unbeliever's worldview. And we, we either do that by drawing them out to their logical conclusions. They claim that, you know, there is no God. Okay, so that means there's no meaning to life, and your life has no meaning. You're just a cosmic accident. You have no purpose, and you're no better than broccoli or an ant. You know, and they're like, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, no, no, I, I, I'm special. <laughs> yeah, you are special. You're created in the image of God. That's why you're special. Um, and let me show you why. Um, we can expose their presuppositions. But we need to be careful that we don't do so with arrogance. Motivations. So we saw the message... We saw the methods, now the motivations. And first, the motivations for not evangelizing. Why, why don't we share this gospel? Why don't we go, go out and proclaim this gospel? Why don't we enter into conversations with our unbelieving family members and coworkers? Um, because we're selfish. We love ourselves. Um, I would rather... Um, pull into my driveway and hit the garage door opener and go in and and then go into the house and do my own thing rather than say hi to my unbelieving neighbor and ask them how they're doing and get to know them and proclaim the gospel. Yeah, that's, that's just the bottom line. We all have to accept this, that we're selfish and we love ourselves more than our neighbor. That's the main reason why we don't share the gospel. Two, we, we're afraid of man. We, we have fear of man issues. We're ashamed. We're actually ashamed of the gospel. Um, the greatest news in the world, and, and we're fearful of, not, of, some, of an unbeliever um, destroying uh, our argument or 
um, ha- raising objections or not knowing how to answer their objections. Um, we have wrong priorities. We have, we have ordered our life in such a way that the gospel and church and spiritual disciplines aren't of the highest priority. Um, our ignorance of Scripture and how to evangelize the lost. We haven't made it a priority to know how to evangelize. Some of us, it's, it's life-dominating sins. Um, we have life-dominating sins that have, um, have clouded out the, the gospel, that, that um, have quenched the fire within us, to, so it's just a, a flicker of a candle. That, um, and, and you've seen this, most of us, when we're, when we're new believers, there is a raging fire within us to, to proclaim this gospel, even though we don't know it. Or we don't know how to proclaim. We just know that we got to share something with somebody. Um, but as we grow, and you know, we may be caught in sin, and uh, and it's just a, a little flickering flame within us. And there's sin in our lives that we have to deal with. Temptations from the world, the flesh, and the devil. They they hate the gospel, and, and they don't want you to proclaim the gospel. Um, seven, we allow our theology to get in the way of our obedience. <laughs> Hyper-Calvinism. We think, well, God's going to save all his elect. He's going to draw all to himself that he's going to save. Um, Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Um, we allow that to get in the way of our obedience. We are the means to proclaim the gospel by which God is saving people. Or we treat holy things as common. We've become, we've become too familiar and casual with eternal things. We no longer treat the gospel, salvation, heaven, or hell as serious and imminent as they are. Um, church becomes a thing we just do, or Bible study, or you know, reading our Bible. It's just it becomes so common and so routine that it's lost the impact. So. Wrong motivations, prestige amongst the church to win arguments. You think you're a heretic hunter and you're going after Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, or you think you're a soul winner. You think that you're actually winning souls. Um, no, you're not. <laughs> you're just proclaiming the message. God is the soul winner. Um, peer pressure. This is kind of a wrong motivation because we are to admonish and encourage one another. So there is a good peer pressure as we practice the one of another's. We admonish, we encourage one another to be more faithful in their walk. Um, guilt. That's kind of a wrong motivation. Um, but if, if it's been 10 years since you've ever proclaimed the gospel, there should be some guilt. <laughs> there should be some sort of guilt within you. Um, because you should be proclaiming the gospel, you know, at least once every six months or so. You know, you should be in in relationship with unbelievers somehow that you can impact them somehow for the sake of the gospel. Love for the lost. That's, that's kind of a wrong motivation. Um, we should have love for the lost. We should have compassion for the lost. But that's ultimately not going to sustain us. Um, love for God. And worship, that's the only right motivation. That's the only motivation that will sustain us. John Cheeseman says, Love for God is the only sufficient motive for evangelism. Self-love will give way to self-centeredness. 
Love for the lost will fail with those whom we cannot love and when difficulties seem insurmountable. Only a deep love for God will keep us following his way, declaring his gospel when human resources fail. John Piper has said, Missions exist because worship does not. That all men were originally created to worship God, to glorify God as his vice regents on earth. But since the fall, we worship ourselves. We worship the created, created things. We exchange the truth of God for a lie. And God saves us to redeem worshipers for himself. And he calls us to go out and proclaim his gospel so that he can, as the means by which he's bring, redeeming more worshipers. That is the motivation. And that has always been the motivation. Isaiah said, um, God spoke through Isaiah and said, Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name and whom I have created for my glory, whom I have formed, even whom I have made. 43.25, I, even I am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake. You see, God has always been doing a work in creation to bring sinners to himself. And we are those, that means that he is saving people. And we get to be that means by which he is saving lost sinners. 2 Corinthians 4, 13 to 15. But having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. God's chief end in creating the world is to glorify himself. His chief end in creating mankind is to glorify himself. His chief end in redeeming sinners is to glorify himself. We see this in Ephesians 1, 5 to 12. And you just look at the pronouns. It's all about him. Ephesians 1, 5 to 12. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times. That is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him, we also have attained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. Everything is all about Jesus. It goes back to the same answer to every Sunday school question. The answer to every Sunday school question is Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all for his glory. And it's only when we do 
evangelism for his glory that we will be sustained in that endeavor. In conclusion, we, we need to recognize that, that he, all authority has been given to Jesus Christ and understand that the commission is always and continuously. We need to know that Jesus Christ is with us always when we set out to make disciples. And as R. Kent Hughes has said in his spiritual disciplines, we must understand that we have a sovereign God who orders all of life, including our relationships, and that our friendships, as well as our casual encounters, are not a list of social accidents. God has placed us in our particular families, neighborhoods, and workplaces for a reason. He has put us next to people he wants us to influence for Christ. Everyone we encounter is an eternal soul of immense value whom we ought to regard with the same weight with which God regards them. There are no accidents. Only divine appointments. As we think about how we can be faithful, how we can be more faithful in evangelism, I, I, want, I have some homework for you guys. And it all starts with prayer. It always starts with prayer. Prayer humbles us. Prayer shows our need. Um, prayer shows who's in power. Um, prayer shows that it's all of God's glory and it's by his power, it's by his sufficient grace that we can be his mouthpieces. So pray that Grace Bible Church would have a greater impact for the gospel in Bakersfield, the surrounding communities, and online. Pray that God would raise up more workers for the harvest from within Grace Bible Church to be sent out into the world. Pray that members of Grace Bible Church would grow in their passion for the glory of God, to glorify Him in their daily lives, and to proclaim Him to others. And then, this is a scary prayer, because He'll answer it. Pray for opportunities to reach out to unbelievers and proclaim the gospel to them and the wisdom and compassion and boldness to do so. And if you pray for opportunities, know that he will answer that and he will bring opportunities to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that you have bestowed, bestowed such grace upon us, that you have called us to be your children, not because of anything that we have done or will do or could do, but all to the praise of your glory, that we are trophies of your grace. And as trophies of your grace, we get to be mouthpieces for you in this dead and dying world, that we get to proclaim the excellencies of you, that we get to shine your light into the darkness. Lord, please give us boldness to do so. Give us wisdom to do so. Give us compassion for the lost to do so um, give us understanding to do so and lord give us opportunities to do so all for your glory it's in jesus name we pray